Hey guys, what's up? Just a little intro to this 149th episode of Cinematics. I'm joined once again by Eric Holmes and Bruce Berkey. They co-host the first section of the month, the first week of Cinematics. We preview the first two weeks of April. So you can actually hopefully gain a couple of good movie recommendations for the first two weeks of this month. After this brief mini episode of Cinematics, you're going to get my interview, my full-length interview with Maddie Doe, the creator, the director of the Long Walk, a movie that just I absolutely adore. Bruce Burke and Eric Holmes loved it as well. I will leave information on the show notes about how to actually purchase The Long Walk or rent or buy it or maybe even go to theaters. It's a movie set in Laos, very interesting film about, you know, it's, it's tabbed as a sci-fi ghost story and it has a little bit of a time travel element. It centers on a young boy who has the ability to see well, like the sixth sense, he sees dead people. He is able to communicate with his spirits soon after they passed. And he lives in a remote area, remote location in Laos. It's very, very just desolate and very visually actually interesting. And I really, the, the whole theme behind this movie just really resonated with me. And even though it is, there is some horror, there's some violence, there, there are some scares, a lot of it is more of a sort of a, just a really existential look at our humanity. And yeah, it's very uncompromising storytelling. Really loved it. It is written by Maddie Doe's husband, Christopher Larson. So the reason why I'm tagging this interview with Maddie Doe is during this episode or this 149th episode, we talk a lot about the long walk in our intro and as well as our ending, as well as the end of the episode. We also discuss other other movies. There's a new movie called Nitram, which is, I, according to Bruce and Eric, you definitely have to see. We also talk about the Chris Pine episode, not Chris Pine episode, the Chris Pine film, Chris Pine Ben Foster film, The Contractor. Apologies. I kept on mentioning their previous movie was Hell and High Water. It's not Hell and High Water. It is exactly like Eric Holmes said. It is Hell or High Water. So my bad on that. I will be back with Anderson for another Cinematics episode the middle of the month, and I will be seeing seeing him next week for our Patreon episode. I believe we're doing the year 1945. All right. So tell us what tell us what you think. Tell me what you think. I want to hear for anyone out there who've seen who has seen Maddie Doe's work. We'd love to hear what you think of her movies. What do you think of the Long Walk? Are is me, Bruce, and Eric just blowing smoke up? You know what? And and saying this movie is really good when. In fact, it's not. We'd love to hear your diverse thoughts on The Long Walk. By the way, the movie is getting great reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, so that should hopefully just bolster your, encourage you to give this really interesting movie a shot. All right, guys. Love you. Thank you for listening to me and Anderson all these years and yada, yada, yada. Okay, take care. Bye. Hey everyone, we're back with another episode of Cinematics. Anderson Cowan is not here. He's not here on the first of the month. He's going to be here as per usual, actually moving forward the middle of the month. We love you, Anderson Cowan. So for the first of the month, as per usual, are my co-hosts, my Find Your Film co-hosts. By the way, notice how I say my. It's like a possessive and it just sounds so vain. Exactly right up my speed. Find your My Find Your Film co-host, Eric Holmes. How are you, buddy? Not good. Or not, not good. Not you're not bad. good. You're not, not bad? bad. Okay, okay. You're not bad. And and how are you, my find your film and cinematics co-host Bruce Berge? How are you? I'm fine. I, I I haven't had to release the safe word yet since I, you own me apparently. So I <laughs> right. I'm just sitting in the corner. I've got my collar on and my little bowl, which you sometimes throw some gruel into, and you know. 
I'm fine. Look, Bruce Berkey is talking a lot of mess right now because he, I think probably he just, for the 50th time, he probably watched this movie that we're going to cover on Find Your Film called Skullhead Face. More information on that guar release from the early 90s, but probably one of Eric Holmes' favorite films of all time, right next to Citizen Kane, Jaws, and what, 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 right, Eric Holmes is, is, uh, spoiler, is, uh, this Skullhead Face one of your all time favorite films? It's, uh, it, it's, it's a piece. <laughs> that is some teaser tease eric holmes will be again discussing it on find your film but now here we are at cinematics episode 149 we're going to talk about the first two weeks of this month this month being april what are the two film couple films that bruce perky and eric eric holmes wants to check out but before we get to that little mini plug cinematics listeners if you don't listen to find your film that's on you but I think one of the things that I think is value added, and I really hope Anderson Cowan, I think Anderson will ultimately get to this. Oh, by the way, let me do a little bit of a turn. Eric Holmes just messaged me today with his really big news regarding Anderson Cowan and a movie he really loved. Eric Holmes, can you mention the Romanian film that Anderson really loves with a passion? What is it? Well, that, I, I don't know what? how much I don't know how much he loves it, but uh, he seemed to. Uh, I listened to the film vault. They had the uh, Vaulties mm-hmm. and uh, the, their and annual the, award shows. Right, that's their annual award thing every year. Yeah, Vaulties, yeah. okay, yeah. It definitely, definitely listen to them because they're always fun. Just listen to film vault in general. It's, it's a fun show. Great show. Um, yeah. But in in his uh, also rands, he mentioned. A movie called uh, Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn. So Bad Luck Banging or Looney right Porn. Right away, I thought, ooh, Greg loves that. He'll no, be he, so happy to hear this. Anderson, why did Anderson mention it? He just mentioned it in passing as a movie that's an honorable mention regarding the Vaulties, as a movie to watch? Yeah. And I, I'm guessing he's going to flick fest it more on the next episode of uh, Film Vault. I, I assume so. Okay. But, uh, okay. Yeah. And again, so, this is so great. You have someone on your side about that movie. I don't know you what could... you're talking about, Eric Holmes, because if I recall this movie called Bad Luck Bang or Looney Porn, considered one of the best films from last year, obviously is a big barrier to entry. A lot of people didn't like it. Well, I guess I was a little bit mixed on that Romanian film. I just, if I recall, maybe I'm losing my memory. Bruce Perkin, Eric Holmes championed the, <laughs> the uh, innovation and the narrative just integrity. Bruce Perky, can you mention that? Weren't you just all about, weren't you, weren't you banging on bad luck banging or lo- loony porn? Is that true? Or am I miss, uh, you know? Um, yeah, I love walking video games, like walking simulators, and it, it really <laughs> filled a gap in that okay so yeah okay dry wit dry wit okay eric holmes weren't you the one who was really supporting and saying if you love really interesting revolutionary indie filmmaking go see this romanian film were you the the one who who said that no not at all i I hated the movie but (laughs) what 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 i'm what i'm really excited about though is to hear anderson's take on it and then maybe maybe when anderson comes back on uh, cinematics and you and him are talking about it, it it'll be it'll be fun to hear you guys talk glowingly about it right because right. i did not like the movie at all and you know we, we talk about this a lot this movie is not something i like but if you like it i'm definitely interested to hear why and who knows maybe turn me around probably not but you never know for the record i bad luck bang or looney porn was one of my top 10 films from last year i did not bang the drums on bad luck banging or looney porn because after during the episode eric holmes and bruce porky on find your film actually threatened me and bullied me and told me not to say what i really felt is that, is that correct bruce porky were you guys bullying me about bad luck banging? Yes, we bullied you. Yes. 
<laughs> you see how a nonplussed his reaction is? It's just there's no emotion. There's there's no passion. Well, I don't want to reveal what I have on you. I, I got to keep it <laughs> tight in my pocket so that way when I need to use it, I have it available for me. Right. And in fairness to Eric and Bruce, Bad Luck Banger Looney Porn, eventually Eric wants to hear us talk about it on this here cinematics. But again, regarding Eric and Bruce's opinion, I, I believe that will be the popular opinion. Right, Eric? Because Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, just very quickly, just it's just a hard film to watch. Do you agree with that as far as just the average cinephile? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Actually, a lot of the reviews I've heard on it were positive, and I don't understand that. But again, different courses for different horses, as you say. Yeah, different courses for different horses, different horses for different courses. But there's different. Th- but you know what? That's it. Anderson <laughs> loves War Horse and he loves horses. <laughs> So Again, that's why he likes this movie. Bruce Perky will never let an old joke rest. Steven Spielberg continues to infiltrate our cinematics and find your, oh, mainly our cinematics podcast. Another Steven Spielberg mention. Very good job, Bruce Perky, on that. Now, speaking of good, good job, or actually speaking of horse racing and tracks that we are completely on. By the way, I love Jockey. I recently saw it. Bruce and Eric didn't. We'd love to hear what you guys think about Jockey. I'm going to have an interview with the Jockey filmmaker on the cinematics podcast pretty soon. But Here's something that all three of us agree on. This movie called The Long Walk is just, within the last couple of years, it's written, it's written by Christopher Larson, directed by Matty Doe, a friend of the show, of our Find Your Film podcast. And this is just highly recommended, very meditative, sci-fi, thriller, family drama. It's just so many genres blended into one. We've mentioned here on Cinematics how brilliant The Long Walk is, and more often on the Find Your Film podcast. More importantly, not more importantly, but just can you guys, Bruce and Eric, what happened last weekend regarding The Long Walk? The Long Walk last weekend actually turned into The Long Drink. Let's start off with you, Eric. What happened with director Matty Doe from The Long Walk? What did you guys do, and why did you do it? Well, uh, Bruce and I both ordered the Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome of the Long Walk. And we know our friend uh, from Movie Bears podcast, William Lindis, also did. And we thought, you know, because we've been doing a lot of uh, physical media reviews on Finder Film. We're like, you know, it'd be fun. Just do like a quick 10, 15 minute thing on the physical media of the long walk talk about the special features and whatnot and then you know just for the hell of it it's like i should probably say no but maybe we hit up maddie doe see if she wants to join us in on the conversation and her response was yeah what time (laughs) and uh we're like well that's cool so then we uh we uh get together and on a zoom meeting figuring we'll do like a quick 10 15 minute thing ended up being about three and a half hours long (laughs) and uh it was uh it was quite epic and Medi Doe is a fantastic person to uh hang and share a couple drinks with. Um, a couple I, drinks with? A couple that's not that did that does that take three Bruce, did you guys have no shame? Three and a half hours. Did she not have to go to bed? What did, what were you guys doing? Uh she well let's see, was it nine o'clock when she started her time? So she was only midnight or so on a Saturday. I mean come on, that's that's party central. That's right the that's the, the meat of the party night. So it was all good. Now on the other hand <laughs> we were drinking in the morning <laughs> and like when my my son popped in when i popped in there because i was actually a 15 minutes late 20 minutes late and i thought oh my god i'm gonna pop in and just say hi sorry i missed the the talk and then no i was there for another <laughs> three hours but yeah my kid was i was like you're uh, showing my kid how i day drink thank you and uh she encouraged it she didn't seem ba- ba- sorry about that at all 
Wow, Matty Doe, bad influence. Uh, Bruce, no, here's the thing. I'm going to defend Bruce Perkin when he say when he says he was day drinking. He means he was having his uh, yearly intake of Odules and Virgin lemonade. So you were you were drinking, right, Bruce? You were drinking. No, vir- no, drinks. my kid who is like too smart for his own good. He's like, oh, Russia, yay, Russia makes vodka out of potatoes. Let me have a taste of that. And no, no, I'm not letting you have a taste of that, thirteen year old. <laughs> Well, I, I'm 50. And I didn't even know. So I'll be bo- sending the uh, AA bills and the rehab bills to Maddie in about, you know, hopefully 10 years. <laughs> well, you know, your son's a lot smarter than me. I had no idea that vodka was made out of potatoes. Uh, and I'm, I'm an idiot. So, Eric, were you, you coordinated the whole thing? Did it, did it come off swimmingly for you? This, this long three and a half hour, the long drink with Maddie, though? Which It came, it came yeah. off better than I could have imagined. Um, because you did the interview with her, and yes, quite honestly, that's what turned me turned me on to her. Like, wow, oh, she just she yeah. just seems like a really cool person. And then when we had her, you know, like, uh, I think at one point we took a break. It's like uh, for two hours into it, she's like, "Fuck that, Let's take a break and keep going." I'm like, "Sweet, I'm down." And, and so, like, I'm going through the I'm going through the raw footage of the interview. I'm like, I don't know how we cut this down. I think we just cut it into pieces and just release it, like, you know, in six parts or whatever that's amazing yes and by the way it, this, this interview took a, took place several days ago eric holmes has been emailing me emailing me different parts of that long herman melville moby dick Matty doe interview eventually he's going to email everything because it takes him about six seven hours to send it because it's probably high in the gig level eventually i'll get all those pieces and then put all those pieces up on our cinematics and find your film YouTube channel, which I will have links below where you guys can check it out. I'll, you know, I'll put, I'm trying to beef up that channel a little bit more there. You know, there's a, there's a recent interview interview with me and Anderson, uh, or actually review of the outfit with me and Anderson and Anderson will be, and I will be back at it middle of the month. But most really cool is you're going to get that Maddie Doe interview very, very soon on our YouTube channel. Enough of all that. We love Maddie Doe. Let's talk about what's interesting this week here on cinematics as far as the week of april 1st 2022 actually this this movie is actually out as we're recording wednesday march 30th it's out on amc plus that's that digital and rental and on amc plus as well in theaters it's a movie called nitram and it's directed by justin Curzel and bruce i think this is the the movie that either you or eric really we're banging the drums on wanting to see this first. I'm only 20 minutes in, so I'm very inexperienced. I kind of don't know what I'm talking about. Why don't you anchor this part of the review for NITRAM? Uh, well, actually, both I, myself and Eric, I think we're about equally interested because I think we both heard about it from Jack Fitzpatrick on uh, on his YouTube channel, which I always forget the the name. Oh, right, right. Let's, let's, let's crash this parade. Let's Thank you. And parade, I'm so yes. sorry, Jack. <laughs> um, and he had mentioned this movie and how it was a really interesting movie and kind of a tough movie, but also really good. We're going to be a little bit vague about it, but uh, other than to say that it takes place in the mid 90s in Tasmania, which is considered part of Australia. Uh, it is based on a true life story, which was a, an incident that occurred there that um, was quite notorious uh, involving a gentleman that we will not name. But in this movie, he's named Nitram. That is the main character played by Caleb Landry Jones. And the bulk of this movie is what leads up to the incident. The incident is not the focus of the movie. Uh, and I'm obviously I'm gonna let Eric kind of hop in on this in a minute here. Uh, I do want to mention, uh, Caleb Landry Jones is amazing as Nit Ram. He's really good. Uh, doesn't mean you like him, but you're not supposed to like him. Uh, Judy Davis is his mother. 
Anthony LaPaglia is his dad, and Helen is played by Essie Davis, which you probably know from Babadook. And uh, Justin Kurtzel, the director, I believe, is the director of Snowtown Murders, which I yes. know him from that. So that made me kind of interested in it as well. This is the tough kind of movie, and I really want to hear Eric's take on it. Any of these movies based on real life um, people who commit heinous acts, where the committer of the heinous act is the focus of the movie, can be really touchy. In fact, just recently on, I believe it was on Find Your Film, we talked about Ted K. And I didn't react well to that for the opposite reason of this movie, because I think this movie does add a lot of value. For me, it's a couple things. It's a, it's a very interesting character study. That's part of it. Seeing this kind of messed up person, what makes them messed up, how they end up following this very eventually lethal path. But even more so for me, this movie, what works for me was watching all the ways that everything in his life failed to... I'm not saying you're going to fix him, right? But failed to curtail the between his parents and, you know, the psychological establishment and the police. And there's just things, there's steps all the way, the ability to buy guns easily. There's steps throughout this movie where things could have changed what happened and they don't. And it's, um, this is quite a remarkable film. I think this is a really, really fine film. But I'd like to hear what Eric thinks as well. Eric, your thoughts on... Oh, also, by the way, two years ago, Justin Curzel directed also The um, True History of the Kelly Gang. Definitely worth a watch if you're interested in that as well. Very very beautifully shot film, and it's just very an, an energetic watch. I, I think Bruce was shaking his head. I think he's already seen the movie. I, don't, I believe Eric Holmes has not seen True History of the Kelly Gang yet. I think it's a movie that actually Eric Holmes would really, really love. Eric, your thoughts on Nitram? I really like this a lot. I think this is a blueprint for movies like this going forward. Um, a lot of times you'll have a, uh, a biopic about a real life tragedy, and usually they focus on the on the uh, uh, killer of said tragedy. And a lot of times the killer is, uh, oh, they're they're really intelligent. Oh, they wanted this to happen. Oh, that everything was, or the or they're uh, seen as uh, sympathetic when in fact they're just pathetic. And, you know, this uh, Caleb Landry Jones um, portrays a person as an obnoxious man, baby. And from what I read up, that seems pretty accurate to what the actual person was. Uh, this doesn't diminish what happens to the, the victims, um, because what he did was just what, what they call it with a gun spray and pray. You know, that's that doesn't take a uh, it doesn't take a mastermind to do something like that, nor does it mean nor does it diminish you to be a victim of that. All you have to do is be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I really appreciated that this uh, movie didn't portray this person as sympathetic. He was just, everything he did was completely selfish and he's a horrible person. And the movie portrayed him as such, I, even to the point where like, it, you know, it would be in a car with someone and he'd reach over and, and, you know, mess with the steering wheel. And at one point that turns out to uh uh, dire consequences for someone. Yeah, I, I just really appreciated that this movie uh, portrayed a piece of garbage human as a piece of garbage human. And um, I, I would say this is very tough to watch. It's very infuriating to watch, but I think you can hate watch this and not hate watch it in a way that, oh, this, this movie sucks. Let me watch it and hate it. But hate watch as in um, you know, maybe there's some catharsis in watching someone act as Caleb Landry Jones's character in this does and just hate that person. Like, oh, oh I just want to choke them. Um, 
but th- this is really well done. And um, not to not to spoil, but I I think this is probably important for some people to know. And we can cut this out if it's too much. But the uh, the tragedy is done very well, and there's nothing shown. You know what's coming, and they do it in a way that you understand what happened, but you don't see anything, which I think is probably the way to go first. Because like, there's probably someone watching this movie that knew someone that you know knew victims, and they can watch this and hate watch it as the character uh, is portrayed, but not uh, feel. They did not exploit the victims, uh, as far as I can tell. It, it did not feel exploitative at all, which is usually undercuts movies like this. And so, good job on Nitram for doing that. Well, quick question on Nitram. I'm looking on IMDb. It won a whole bunch of awards, and that was nominated for, obviously, even more. One of the big awards was Caleb Landry Jones received Best Actor at the Cannes Film Festival. Do you guys understand why, you know, first of all, both of you, I'm sure I highly recommend this film, but were you surprised about all the all the awards that Nitram received? If so, why do you think it's it's been roundly praised, this, this movie? I think the exact thing that Eric just said is probably the reason, because this kind of movie is incredibly tough to do and not be explo- either exploitive or just not effective sometimes. And this is kind of, it really threads that tough needle like to hit on both counts where, uh, perfect example, I mean, he's, he does such a great job because every time you see his character, first of all, like Eric says, you hate him. But the incredible uncomfortable nature of his interactions are really highlighted. It's something as simple as him walking up to a door to say he wants to mow somebody's lawn. And the way even a little scene like that plays out has this level of tension and, and oddity. And, and, and a lot of that is his acting. I'm sure a big part is the script direction too. But his acting, I think, uh, from what I can see, is pretty amazing. So it's, it's, this is a really, really effective movie, like um, Eric says. And I went and watched things afterwards about the actual event and it does make it even a little more chilling. And I, and I can imagine this might be really tough for some people to watch that have more of a close relationship to that event. Uh, but I want to also highlight things like filmmaking wise, that's really effective where there's a scene between Nitram and his mom and the older woman who's kind of taken him in Helen at a, uh, at a certain location. And at first, when I saw that, I didn't, my mind didn't key in that location. But later on, when that location comes back, not only does it hit you hard, but now you're understanding like why a seemingly random location appeared later in his life and how, in a way, how petty that was and how horrifying that was. Um, this is just a very effective movie. Oh, okay. So that is Nitram. It's currently on digital, on demand this week, also in theaters stateside. So definitely it came out March 30th. So this weekend of April 1st, if there's a very quality movie to check out, that will be Nitram. Let's go for the ratings. Eric, oh, Eric Holmes, you have oh, some I, thought. I, you have, I, I see a thought bubble in your, in your visage. I, what are you thinking about? Um, I don't know if we can say this, but uh, the uh, uh, person is uh, currently in prison. And to borrow a quote from Christopher Hitchens, it's a shame there's not a hell for him to go to. Okay, very good. Christopher Hitchens quote. Now, how, what's your rating on Nitram? That's Eric five stars. Five stars for you, Eric Holmes and Bruce Berkey. How many stars are you going to throw down for Nitram? I'm going to go four and a half, but it could become five. It's definitely, uh, it's in my favorite of the year so far list, which is bigger than it's going to be at the end of the year, but it's pretty big right now. <laughs> you know, we're recommending uh, uh, films this week. Is this, a, is this for both of you the big recommend as far as the week of April 1st goes? Uh, no. Yeah. 
Oh, there, no. there's, a, there's a bunch of them actually. This is one of a few. I have one that's higher, but they're all they're pretty much a tie. So okay, so let's okay. So again, that is Nitram. That is our movie featured movie this week on Cinematics. Let's go to recommendations, Bruce. Let's go to the week of April first. What what movies are you looking forward to this week, or is there any other movie that you saw per, per the purview that you would say, hey, go see this movie along with Nitram? Well, there's other movies that I saw. Um, I mean, I don't know if we want to mention stuff that's going to be on Finder Film or just kind of leave that off to the side until we're going to talk about some other movies on Finder Film. Let's just say that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I try to pick something uh, for both of the weeks that we're going to talk about. I try to pick something that might be a little more off the radar that looked interesting to me that might not get much press or anything. So for the first week, I do have a movie called Night's End. Um, it is going to actually drop on shutter as of today. It'll be tomorrow, the 31st. So March 31st on shutter, uh, by Jennifer reader. And it, uh, co-stars Michael Shannon, uh, the basic character, the basic idea of the story from what I understand is there's a character who is essentially like a shut in, in this apartment. Uh, I'm guessing, and I don't know for sure that it may be COVID or something like that, right? Like he's stuck in this apartment and, he soon starts to believe he's a very, very anxious person. Like he's kind of claustrophobic. He doesn't want to be in there. And he soon starts to believe that it may be either be haunted or there's some kind of possession or something's going on. And I think he reaches out over the internet to Michael Shannon's character and somebody else to try to help him solve that. And I think it goes from bad to worse. So it sounds like it could be a, a really fun, interesting kind of a mostly one-hander. Uh, and I, I'm going to give it a try. See if it's good. Okay, again, this is a biased reporting from Bruce Perky because he is a huge Shudder fan, which biased is good when, when you're talking about Shudder because genre-wise, it's hard to beat Shudder as a streaming service. That is his recommendation for the first week in April. Eric Holmes, what do you have for the first week in April? The one that I saw, I won't go too much into it, but I do want to mention it because I really liked it and hope people watch it, is called You Won't Be Alone. Just Never heard of it. it. Never. Just what, check, what, check, check, check what out. Check out what? You Won't Be Alone. Uh, some of you won't like it at all. Some of don't you tell, might don't tell me it. I won't be alone. I'm a, I'm alone, Eric. I'm a very sad Asian 50 year old human being who's a You're podcaster. A, My old friends are Bruce Burke, Eric Holmes, and Anderson. Person. Oh, thank very you. Lovely person. Very huggable, lovable person. Okay, so you, hugs, of course. Oh, oh right, right, right. <laughs> and you've got me like with a collar and leash and a dog bowl in the corner. So how oh, can you yes, be alone? Yes, you know, basically, it's just me. Fresh me. water, Bruce. It's fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> have you seen Audition? Sometimes he treats me like that. And you know, actually, I, I still have not seen that movie, Audition. Eventually, is that Takashi Miike? Who did that? No. Who did that? Okay. Yes. yes. Takashi Miya. Eventually down the One road. One of the 10 films a year he directs. <laughs> yes. So. By the way, I loved that interview with Maddie Doe that I did. And, and I'm just going to say this. I love how she just dropped the name Takashi Miike during the interview when she says like she makes... The, one of the things about Maddie Doe's film work is she's very deliberate in her, in her filmmaking. It'll take maybe three to four years to make a movie. And she said, no, I, the reason why is because life is precious and I really want to really soak into the narrative and she goes i'm no, I'm no takashi miike and that was not a knock on takashi miike it's just miike does so many different films so going back to you won't be alone eric holmes you have maybe a couple of sentences to say why people should hunt this movie down because they might think it's a just a relationship movie or something um it's i mean we'll talk about more of it on uh, find your film but I, it's just a a movie that really resonated with me. If you like uh, Tree of Life or Dreamlike type movies, maybe this is up your alley. Other people watch it, be like, I don't know what this is. I hate this. Or maybe somewhere in between. I don't know. 
Um, but the one I wanted to bring up that I haven't seen that looked interesting, and that would be Barbarians. Hmm. I just saw the just saw the trailer. It, you know, uh, read the thing. Uh, the synopsis looked like it might be good. Watch the trailer, and it looks almost like uh, the the movie Strangers, uh, the home invasion movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks right. like a dark comedy version of that, almost like a mixed Strangers and The Trip. It looks like it's going to be one of those type of movies. And it may sound like I'm speaking out both sides of my mouth after talking about NetRam about how terrible um, tragedy is. Um, and this one looks fun. But difference is this isn't based on actual tragedy. So, you know, that that's the difference between uh, watching a snuff film and watching Nightmare on Elm Street, for example. You know, Barbarians looks like uh, looks like it could be a pretty decent dark comedy. And I look forward to watching it. Okay, this movie, it co-stars Catalina Sandina Moreno. She's one of the characters. Also, I believe there's another person. Well, let's see who else it stars. Ewan Rion? Ewan Rion? I, I forget how to pronounce his name, but he was one of the the annoying characters from God. I forgot what character he played. He was just a very mean human being. Also, it also stars Tom Cullen. It's being released by IFC Midnight. You can check out Barbarians in select theaters, digital platforms, and on VOD April 1st, I will be interviewing a couple of these people on Friday. As Bruce Perky knows, when I, I'm so excited to see this, and Bruce Perky is thinking, yep, Greg has should have probably seen Barbarians to actually help with the Cinematics podcast. But Bruce is probably thinking, yeah, I know Greg. His, his interview with them is probably early in the morning on Friday, and he'll probably put the screener link on maybe two hours before the interview starts. And Bruce Perky would be correct because Bruce Perky actually witnessed me today actually try to watch three to four movies within the span <laughs> of six hours, which I failed at. And we'll get, we'll get to that once you listen to us on Find Your Film. Bruce, why do you terrorize me every morning of the podcast by asking me how many movies I've seen? What do you just want to add to my anxiety and neurosis, Bruce? I have I have knives and they haven't been twisted enough, so I need to make sure I keep getting them in practice, you know? Fair enough. I don't mind if you're twisting your knives into me. There's another movie called uh, The Contractor, which we'll be covering on, on our other podcast. It stars Chris Pine and who else? Who's Ben Foster and Kiefer yeah. Sutherland's in it. And before we get uh, our cinematics listeners, Eric and Bruce, should they hunt down The Contractor this week? What do you guys think very quickly on that? I, I think so. It's because uh, this is uh, Ben Foster and Chris Pine get together after uh, Hell or High Water. Yeah, Hell and High Water. Yeah, quite, not quite as good as Hell or High Water, but there's certain like I, I think it would make a good double feature. I, and I, I would certainly like to see Chris Pine and Ben Foster work more together. They're they're, they're a good on screen duo. I think. Okay, I'm glad you liked it. I kind of liked it as well in theaters on digital and on demand April 1st. Before we leave April 1st, Bruce, your thoughts on the contract or on, on that as well? Uh, similar to Eric's, I would say if you like action movies, if you're if you're really not the art house movie type of moviegoer and you're kind of looking for something a little more meat and potatoes that kind of kind of does what you think it might do, I think that uh, you could do a lot worse than the contractor. Right, the contractor, again, the, again like Eric Holmes said, a lot of value add if you are a huge fan of Helen High Water because it, it reunites Chris Pine and Ben Foster. So there's going to be a bias if you actually rent or check it out, check out the contractor in theaters, especially if you like those two actors. This might be a movie you like more, a little bit more than the average viewer. Now we're going to week two as far as our recommendations. Bruce, there's a movie that you were putting out here that I, I, don't, I don't even know what this is. It's probably somewhere lost in my emails. Yeah, what is it? <laughs> 
This is a movie that actually got put into our box on our other podcast. Uh, every week I pick a name out of the box of a movie to watch. And I believe um, Brian O'Connell. Brian O'Connell. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I believe he put this in the box, but it wasn't available. And I actually reached out to the filmmakers and they said, right now we're just touring this documentary around to schools. So I think they spent a year actually touring this around to different schools uh, in the United States, I believe, mostly. And it's finally coming available on the uh, 8th or 9th, whatever that day is, that Friday. Yes. Uh, it is called Alaskan Nets. And I thought, you know what? This is a great time to bring this up because I bet you it won't be on a lot of people's radar. And I haven't seen it, but I'm interested to see it. Uh, it is directed by Jeff uh, Harasimowitz, I guess I would say is that name. Um, it takes place... In a Alaskan small Alaskan fishing village called Metlakatia, Metlak I can't say it. Sorry, guys. Nailed it. Uh, <laughs> the, the ever the ever joke. Um, uh, basically, <laughs> the idea is this town uh, is uh, predominantly Native American, if not all. I haven't seen it. I don't know for sure. And uh, the life there centers around both fishing and the culture and basketball. And it sounds like kind of like, you know, you go to like the, the Texas towns or some of these Southern towns where, you know, Friday night lights, it's the thing every, you know, that football is king. Uh, well, it sounds like in this town, it's basketball. And the uh, documentary is kind of about that interaction between those, those worlds. And it sounds really interesting to me and something I've never seen before. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that movie. Well, so this is a recommend recommendation from our Cinematics Facebook group member, Brian O'Connell. If you are not a Cinematics Facebook group member, get on it. We'll, we'll have links on our show notes as well. Every week I give Blu-rays and DVDs, and we have different Blu-rays and DVD giveaways for our Cinematics group members. And actually, the most important part of that is actually our members are just as big, if not even bigger cinephiles than me, Eric Holmes, Bruce Perky, and Anderson Cowan. And we, I think on a daily basis, we receive great recommendations in that group. So if you're looking for movies that are just sort of outside your own purview, join our group because we have just a huge, just diverse group that'll give just different recommendations. And, you know, it's it's one of these things that really will broaden your own movie going palette or movie watching palette. As far as, far as Alaskan Nets go, it recently received the Audience Choice Award from the Santa Barbara International Film Festival, which is really cool. Another little thing is it is executive produced by Chris Pratt. So Fishing and Basketball, exec produced by Chris P Pratt and, and received an Audience Choice Award, meaning it's a crowd-pleasing movie. Might be something interesting to watch on digital and on demand April 8th. Hopefully, you know what? I have an, an email which I just opened. Bruce Berkey, I will email the publicist and maybe all three of us can get in. Maybe even Anderson. Maybe we'll get Anderson because we know Anderson out of all four, out of all four of us. He's the big documentary guy. So maybe all of us can see Alaskan Nets before April 8th. That is your pick, Bruce Berkey. Eric Holmes, what you got? Uh, the one I got is kind of, uh, I, I guess, a uh, uh, softball, um, but it's everything, everywhere, all at once. Mm. directed by the uh two guys that did the uh the uh corpse farter movie <laughs> swiss the army daniels man. the dans right yeah i yeah. i still have i have still haven't seen swiss army man but i did watch death of dick long i love that movie and daniel Scheinart is one of the two directors um of everything everywhere all at once early buzz on this has been extremely positive and that just gets me even more excited to check this out so yeah, everything, everywhere, all at once. I have no idea what it's about. I saw the trailer. Still have no idea what it's about. Just say it looks 
absolutely insane and um hoping it's good insane <laughs> i showed the trailer to my kids and they're like on board to watch it too so that's a that's an interesting sign i think yeah okay so everything everywhere all at once it's getting a lot of really great word of mouth the reason why it comes out april 8th that's a, it's a nationwide rollout it's in select theaters as we speak but very very few theaters but again very not even a negative word from this movie at all and this i think this is a movie that will probably have legs okay before we go any final thoughts this is cinematic this is our little cinematics is only the first two weeks anderson and i will be back for the middle of the month round out the month any final thoughts from you eric holmes regarding any movies to watch anything uh, our listeners should check out anything else i i would say uh check out all of maddie does movies um i've watched two of them so far all, all uh there's a or second movie uh dearest sister they haven't watched yet um but the two I've seen are uh, Chantelay and uh, The Long Walk are both pretty amazing. So I can't imagine Dear Sisters, even if it's the worst of the bunch, is probably still going to be pretty good. And what, what makes Maddie Doe an amazing filmmaker? You've said both films are amazing. Why is she amazing in your in your? Well, yeah. First, uh, first of all, um, the they're written very well, uh, which is her her husband's um, uh, Christopher Larson. Uh, he, he's just he, he's quickly becoming one of my favorite writers and they're just uh i don't know they they just really move but they move in kind of odd directions and i just appreciate it yeah they're they're just fun movies they're kind of like they're kind of movies that you think you've seen before but then there's just that little that little twist or little something extra to it that just kind of sets it above yeah very uncompromising would you agree uncompromising bruce maddie Doe's storytelling with christopher larson that kind of reunion i would uh i also say that i think the dearest sister which is her middle movie that you haven't seen yet is on shutter as well so if people want to check that out it's available she also did an episode on the creep show series that is on shutter as well on season three so that's something you can watch we want to see the kind of the fun goofier side of her because all the rest of hers are pretty solidly dramatic and i would just add on to what eric said as far as her style and everything i think or between the two of them writing and her directing his writing uh, i think that what i find really interesting is that at least in the ones i've seen she seems to do this kind of com combination of there's a lot of um there's supernatural elements but they're not used generally in a way to like spook you out or scare you outright. They're actually used as dramatic elements within a world that's pretty grounded. Even when it's fantastical, it's still pretty grounded. And it's a, it, I think that makes a really interesting, um, very unique kind of approach that seems to be really in her, I don't know, in her DNA or their DNA. It just seems to really be kind of a, a, a lane that they are in at the moment. So that's a great, that's a great analysis, Bruce, because it, it's one of these things where every, I'm just, I know as very little compared to you and Eric, but just from watching The Long Walk, every single section of violence or maybe time travel, she's mentioned time travel, every little thing within most genre films would use that for effect. But like you said, she uses it to actually further the story and to actually deepen our humanity within the, the context of what The Long Walk is about. Also, sorry about that bump. It's just a very, like I said, uncompromising regarding some of the stakes that are in that film and some of it. A lot of it is very heartbreaking and it'll make you, it'll make you, dear movie watcher, think about what would you do if you had a certain power to commune, communicate with 
with spirits, what would you do? Would you be selfish about it? Would you be more human about it? Or would you hold humanity back? There's a lot of great philosophical questions behind The Long Walk, but it's also a very fun effing movie. And hopefully you'll be... Eric, should they day drink or night drink while they're watching The Long Walk? Or should they just be sober and enjoy it? Just uh, clean and sober. Watch it. Um, Just even. Even field. If you're on the wagon, good for you. And stay there and watch it sober. Otherwise, maybe have a drink if you feel like it uh especially if you have the uh, blu-ray it's got a recipe for uh making a what's called the long sip which is quite delicious oh you and were you the only one to, and we're gonna get released a video on our youtube channel were you the only one to make the long sip because i haven't checked out the videos yet eric were you the t- guinea pig to actually make the long no, sip no uh, we all made it there uh, there's <laughs> So when you get the when you get the uh, the Blu-ray, um, there Bruce are made it? Uh, did Bruce make it? Yeah, yeah. The, but there is uh, one one ingredient in particular which may be tough to get to. But other than that, it's it's pretty simple drink, but it's really good. And I'm not. It's a human finger. I'll give it to you now. <laughs> there it's you a finger. human finger. Wow. Okay, speaking of human fingers, check out our review of Skullhead Face on Find Your Film as well. You're going to have a lot of limb discussions and blood and gore if you want to hear the sort of the after midnight version of cinematics with our brethren. Check out our episode on Find Your Film. Other than that, as we like to do on FYF, final thoughts from our FYF co-host and cinematics co-host, Bruce Perky, what do you want to say? I would just say, if we haven't sold you on Maddie Doe, just remember that there is at least one thing that she's put out that has Michael Rooker and a floating head with entrails. Very good. Very good point. And finally, go check out Anderson Cowan's Groupers. We miss you, bud. Right, right, Eric Holmes? Oh, yeah. And definitely check out Groupers. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Maddie, first of all, this I'm going to start with a personal question. When I was five, we I, I lived in Bangkok and I actually knew the language. It was, was very fluent. And then we moved to the States and my dad wanted me to actually go to Sunday school, Thai Sunday school. And as a kid, I said, no, I just want to speak English and become Americanized. And now so you didn't do it. Okay. I didn't do it. And I, I blame myself. I have to hold myself accountable. But the thing is, so for the last 45 years, I've been Americanized. This is my culture. And, and but did you I, understand any of it? No, it, I lost the language. I lost wow. the language. But the thing is now he, he has since passed and my only taught, my only um, tied to the Thai culture is through the food and through going to Thai town. But Maddie, you did it the opposite way I did. Can you talk about being raised here in the States, but then a decade ago, or maybe even more, you decided to move to Laos and, um, and actually, and what was that journey like for you? Did, was it a, has it been a fortifying experience? And I'm sure you can't even encapsulate that within a soundbite, but just your overall big picture experience. I mean, a soundbite, definitely not. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I think, Greg, um, it's conflicting because I'm a mutt like you. You're Filipino and Thai. I'm Lao, Viet Thai. And so it's, uh, I'm, a, I'm Asian the way most white people think they're European, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, it's the truth. Like every time you talk to an American, they're like, I'm like Irish and British and part French, part German and like one um, sixteenth Cherokee. And I'm just like, you're not. <laughs> like, but I feel bad now for saying that because like as a mutt, I realize how important it is to have some kind of tie to your heritage and to also kind of know about your ethnic background and your origins. Um, But in a way I had a really different upbringing 
I grew up in a very diverse uh, environment. So like I was in California and I was surrounded by, I was so fortunate in California, you're surrounded by everyone and everything, every kind of Asian, Latinos, uh, black people, white people, different kinds of white people. And it was like a really amazing experience for me because part of that Americanization that I had, that you also had, uh, was my parents encouraging that. My parents encouraged me to hang out with every different kind of ethnicity um, because they didn't like the idea of me boxing myself into one friend group. And I, I think I'm really lucky because there are, I know families who want to recreate this like little Thai, little Lao experience or even little Sangon I was raised in Southern California. I was born in OC and we actually call a section of OC little Saigon, you know, <laughs> with Pukletal, right? Right? Like the, the shopping mall there. I love it. But um, that was not what my parents wanted for me. And every time I'd ask them about our history and our origin, they were really careful about what they told me because I think my mother had this awareness that after, after the war, there was going to be change. People evolved. We left in the 70s. We were in a refugee camp. And then I was born in California. I was a first anchor baby. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, my parents did give me a lot of background about their childhood and their upbringing and about the war in general, but they didn't want to taint my experience and perspective of the country and the culture that I, they wanted me to discover on my own terms. And I find that when I speak to a lot of Lao Americans or Thai Americans or Vietnamese Americans, they have a very distinct picture of what they think Southeast Asia is like. What they think their motherland or their parents' ancestral country is like. And those are the ones that have the roughest time when they come back. The culture shock is real, Greg. And it shakes them. It shakes them to the core. And um, I mean, long story short, I have this amazing oven in my house. It has four burners on the top and the, you know, the skillet in the middle for making carne asada tacos, the, the flat skillet for pancakes and carne asada and the giant professional oven on the bottom. And it's a gas oven. And it was from an American Lao person who moved to Lao feeling like they were going to claim their heritage and claim their roots and they didn't make it for two months because the culture shock was too great the culture shock was too deep and it wasn't this imaginary Lao that does not exist anymore from the 70s that their parents had fed them and so they had these containers of things they brought from America and they couldn't take it back so when they left they sold me this oven for 500 bucks and now I make cookies and cake all the time <laughs> I I don't you know, this answer. I I just wanted to comment. I, I'm sure this answer would take an hour or two, but I, just to have both worlds must be such a rich, invigorating, creative, and personal life for you. Just to have both of these sort of at your beck and call to to access as a storyteller. It's incredible. I'm so lucky because as a storyteller, I have my foot on both sides of the line, and I find sometimes a flaw of some Lao films is that. Uh, they have this idea of what they think people want to see. And so they make this idea of what Lao is. And sometimes it's ultra patriotic and ultra propaganda-y, you know, like the good Lao girl, long black hair and the flower in her hair and wearing pasim, the silk, right? And like, 
it's too idealized. Nobody gives a crap about that. And then the Westerners want to see poverty porn or they don't understand certain things. So people are afraid to put certain things on screens. Like for instance, the funeral rites that we have in my film, right? Or the weird lottery ghost beliefs from my second film, Dear Sister. Um, And no one would put that on screen because they're like, that's too fucking weird. No one's going to understand that. But then for people outside of our country, they don't even know that exists and they're interested or they're interested, but they have no context for it and they need someone to explain it to them in a way they understand. And so because I'm from both worlds, I can show these things to them and I can give them context for it. But the one thing that I have that most filmmakers on the outside do not have, because we have all kinds of fancy little white boys coming over here trying to make a film in Laos, you know, <laughs> and trying to tell our stories. Oh, in Thailand too. Like there's a lot of um, white people coming to Thailand to make a Thai film. And what they don't have is they don't have the internal dynamics of what happens behind closed doors in a Lao family or in a Thai family or a Filipino family. They can't authentically show the working emotions and reactions and problems of what happens in an actual family that is from Southeast Asia. And that's why it always feels inauthentic when some white person's making an Asian story. You know, uh, for my movie review podcast, I've, uh, it's three of us, all three of it, three of us gave your film five out of five stars. And what's interesting about, what's interesting about this, yeah, thank you for your film, by the way. One person said, I love it because I can go back and rewatch it and pick up the puzzles and put the puzzles together. Another person said, well, um, as a huge horror fan, this blew away all the horror tropism stuff that I've, I've been conditioned to enjoy or put up with over the years. And then on me personally, with uh, losing my, my father five, six years ago, it helped me process grief in so many different ways. So I, I went through the uh, philosophical them- thematic behind your film. Mm. You love genre filmmaking. In layman's terms, how are you able to hit on all of those levels? Does it just take a lot of time and effort and painstaking effort to do that? I mean, I think all films should take effort and time. I, you know, you notice that I'm not making like three films a year like a lot of other directors can, right? I'm not Takashi Miike. And there's a reason for that. Like um, the films that I make, I want them to be these unique standalone films that aren't easily compared to other films and that have a reason and a need to exist. Um, They're not just films for the sake of films. If I just wanted to make films for the sake of films, if I just wanted to like try and use it like some cash cow, then I'd just be doing like any kind of melodrama or any kind of like rom-com jump scare horror movie. No, and that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to tell a story that is important to myself and important to someone else who wants it and needs it. And in the same way that, and also that is not stereotypical and that hasn't been done a billion fucking times before. Because the reality is, Greg, like, if it's been done before, it's probably been done better. <laughs> like, it's it's really hard to do something better than what's already awesome. <laughs> well, uh, Maddie, I'm going to apologize. I'm going to play devil's advocate right now. And let's just say I'm looking at the long walk. I'm a creative executive somewhere living in Century City. And I'm thinking, man, the long walk, I'm just going to get this to, to my higher ups. And we're going to remake it Hollywood style. We're going to uh, offer... Maddie Doe and her crew, a whole bunch of money to remake it, maybe put it in one of the big streaming platforms or whatnot offer. You mentioned Cash Cow. Just wondering. What, Never in a million years, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, just, you know, I'm just wondering, is there a bad – your movie is about choices. And yes. wondering about that kind of choice, if, if or when that choice is offered to you, because I think this is a movie that 
I think it's a compliment, but it's also a nightmarish take. It, it's something that could actually be remade here as well. So, if I could direct it and if Chris could write it, there's a possibility because it wouldn't be a shot for shot remake of The Long Walk in Laos. It would not be this very specific Southeast Asian story, but it would be about a forgotten person in a rural part of America that has fallen off the edges of society and the time traveling could not be based on Buddhist religion. Uh, it would be an inherently different movie with the same elements, but at the same time, um, I would have to ask them like, why? Because you can't read fucking subtitles. <laughs> and then they would give me the money, Greg. Then immediately be like, this bitch is like, Oh, she's, she's a little too much for us. You know, like she just straight up came into this, high-powered executive conference room where there are probably free snacks, which I'll eat all of them during the meeting. And she just asked if we couldn't read subtitles. (laughs) (laughs) Just, I listened to you on the podcast and I was on on another podcast and I absolutely just loved your just integrity and the way that you actually speak truthfully. In fact, I wish most people did do that in just general, whether you're media or you're a publicist or 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 you're a filmmaker. Where did you get that? Just, I don't life's too short attitude. I'm going to actually just say what I actually feel as opposed to playing the game so you can actually monetize a very safe way to go about this world. You know what I'm saying? Life isn't a game. We have one life. Even if you believe in rebirth, I believe that if you believe in reincarnation, what we did in this life, we're not trying to correct it in the next life. We've been given another chance to live a new life. And so life is not a game and we can't treat it like it's a game. It's not win or lose. It's the best thing that you can possibly do for yourself and your loved ones surrounding you. And if you don't live life with integrity, then what do you take to the grave? I'm going to tell you, Greg, you can't take fucking money to the grave. Like, oh, I'm going to like decay with the maggots in my fucking dollar dollar bills. Like, no, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they're not very like great fertilizer either, you know, um, And I believe that life is short because I saw how short my mother's life was. I sometimes think in all seriousness, I don't know if I make it to 50, Greg. You know, I'm 40 at this moment. And what do I want to leave behind me? I want to create a legacy. I want to make my mark. Because I can't take money to the grave, what can I take with me to the grave? The memories of people's encounters you know, like even if there's no afterlife, even if there's no reincarnation, even if I just become part of the dirt in the ground, I hope I'm not so fucking toxic that like not a single goddamn daisy grows over my headstone, right? Over my over my plot. And that everybody is saying like, thank God that bitch died. She was awful. She stepped on so many backs just to get to just to get ahead in life. And that's not the kind of legacy that anyone should want to leave behind. So what do you have? You're like, amazing Bentley you have your yacht you have your you have your amazing diamond rings and shit like think about what you've done for everyone else around you and think about how many people were hurt in the pursuit of your wealth and of your own personal success it's not hard to just be kind it's just not just be cool (laughs) what's so hard about that Speaking of cool, I my co-host Bruce Perky. I I messaged him as I was watching your film. I go this the lead this lead actor in the Long Walk has more presence and charisma than most actor lead actors I see in cinema. Period. 
How oh, in the, damn cool. How in the bleeping world did you find this person? You talked about genre filmmaking. I would put him right on the just the Mount Rushmore. That's a, just he can just a, look into the camera and he like burns. You know, he exudes this power and his presence. And if you met him in real life, you would believe it. He's so he's such a jovial jokester. He's a like he's a super comic clown. He's the one that's like running around pranking people on set. Uh, he's the one who like we have to remind him like, okay, you wrap at this time. So we can't get drunk yet because we're all still working. Like, don't break open the Heinekens yet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> He's seriously like the life of the party. But in the film, he's just like he's got this presence. And like, that's all I can describe it as is he has this power and he exudes this this force and I love that I love that and he's um I mean I'm really fortunate that everyone that I work with is extremely easy to direct we speak on if you could watch the when we when I direct people on set I think you would be perturbed I think you would think it was strange because it's like first of all I don't have what we call a video village which for people who don't know video village is like the tent that's off to the side kind of far away and it has the monitors and we see what's happening on the camera. And if we need something to happen with the actors, we like into a walkie talkie in the movies, it's a megaphone, but we don't do this in a walkie talkie. You'll be like, okay, let's do another take of that. And let's blah, 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 blah. No. Or we're yelling from the video village from this tent. I don't do that. I stand next to my DOP. I'm barely off frame. Like if I sneezed funny, you would see like my earring or my hair on the side of the frame. That's how close I am to the actors. And when we cut and then we talk about another take, I talk to them even more quietly than this. I'm just like, you know, um, Greg, I really liked what you did in this moment. Uh, when we were, when we were talking about burning the body, uh, and you had this really intense moment where you held her gaze. I want to do that again, but instead, uh, you, you still have that intense moment, but why don't you be a little more questioning about it? And why don't you put the burden on her like this? And then we'll do it again. But it's like this. We have these personal conversations, my actors and I. And people who come and visit our set to watch me direct are disappointed because there's no, like, directorness happening. It's like they just see me sitting on the ground next to the actors, just whispering to them and talking to them like this, just having us... Oh, how did you feel about this moment? What did, what did you, how did you feel when he spoke to you like this? Oh, wow. That's really interesting. How would you feel if he was a little more intense like this? Let's try it like that. Okay. Let's, let's go for another take and then we'll call it. And I think that you're feeling this energy that all of my performers have because we're all collaborating on the performance together. It's not just the actor and it's not just the director. It's all of us. I, you know, I'm going to say the spoiler stuff towards the end of the interview, but I, I just wanted to, for people who will actually see this movie, just one of the themes is, uh, I thought it was a little bit heartbreaking, the fact that you you can really love someone and you can really believe what you're doing is right, but sometimes you you can end up really hurting people um, as far as helping them go to the next level in in our existence. Can you speak to that? Because I thought that was, did that, was that originally part of the script? Because that's so complex and it's so truthful and it, and it hurts to even just think of that notion. And it's, it's a really big part of your film. You see it in so many aspects of the film. I'm not even 
talking just about the boy and the old man and their their losses and their regrets or the girl and what she's lost even in for instance when the ngos when the americans come and visit the little boy and his family when he's a kid and they decide for them that the help that they need or what they actually need in their lives are solar power you know we're here to civilize the savages right and we know all the answers and all the solutions to all of these noble savages problems this is kind of how um how i feel like we're treated often in a developing country not just southeast asia in other places too like in in the global south as they call it which is like by the way a really bullshit fucking term like if you're civilized you're on the north and the global south us in africa and india and southeast asia like go fuck yourselves um <laughs> but i have to admit that the work that they do is incredible like we have free vaccines from covax during this pandemic they just donated free vaccines to us the leftover ones that no one wanted of course uh some of them have expired but the reality is that they have really really good intentions but in good intentions don't make the world go round good intentions are not always healthy and good intentions can ruin people's lives and well-being just like in this film i believe that the old man had good intentions I even believe that the little boy had good intentions when he stayed with the girl as she was dying. He stayed with her and she asked him, you know, to not leave her alone and he held her hand. But, you know, when he went home, he didn't tell his parents about the fact that he encountered a girl dying in the woods and that her body was still there. Every time he encounters an adult, he doesn't tell them. Her own mother finds him and asks him straight to his face, "Have you seen her?" And he lies. Because his intention is that he has a friend, he has a companion, and the two of them are happy. But even though he has good intentions and he's a sweet kid, it's not right. Not only is it not right, it's damaging. It's damaged her family. It's damaged her parents. It's damaged his psyche and what he believes、uh, he needs to do as he grows older in life. And this is a huge theme of the film because I believe that. As much as we do have good intentions, as much as Westerners think that they have all the solutions to our Eastern problems, you have to think a little farther and deeper. You have to do a little bit more research.、And、I don't mean just like academic book research or come here for two years on your stupid short little project stint and go away and save some other brown country. I mean, you have to have the sincerity and the knowledge and the local ground, do the local groundwork to know what you're getting into and to go beyond. Good intentions. Yeah, Maddie, I, I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist when it comes to something as superficial. I, I would seem, I would say, as like DVDs or Blu-rays. I, you know, everyone talks about going a generation up re- regarding the overall content with streaming. But I wonder one day if I let's just say I got a special edition Blu-ray of The Long Walk and I keep it, and then 15 years later. Maybe those special features of Maddie Doe and Larson audio commentary and featurettes will be lost in the ether unless you will have you need that physical disc. I'm just wondering where you stand as a filmmaker regarding. Well, in a sense, it's backward to have a disc and collect space, but maybe if these big corporations have the long walk on,、uh, I don't know, I don't know, at one of the big streaming services, all this kind of great archival footage may be lost in the ether. Just wondering. Do you have a big picture take on physical media in general? 
does it have of its value or not? I don't have a take on this because I admit I'm kind of a, I think that I'm always on the border of being a hoarder. Like just watch when I'm 70 or 80 years old, if I live that long, you know, and then, then I die, it's going to be one of those things where like the reality TV show with the camera comes in and realizes they can't even open the door because I've been hoarding all this shit. Right. <laughs> I'm really sentimental, Greg. Like I should, you know, I have, um, a rubber band bracelet that, uh, one of my, my associate producer, Todd Brown, his daughter made me a rubber band bracelet when she was like 10 years old or nine years old or something. And she put it on me and she says, I made, she's, I made this for you, Maddie. And she noticed that I like the colors red and black and I still have it. I kept it. I kept it in my purse. Like that's a kind of sentimental hoarder that I am. So like for me, that special edition Blu-ray, which there is one by the way. And Oh, can I get it? Recipe. I can go on it, on Amazon and order it right now. I can do that uh, or, or not. On vinegarsyndrome.com, I think. Okay, cool. And it's a, a limited edition. And you know what? I actually went to one of my favorite restaurants in Vietnam, where I go to like their happy cocktail hour all the time. And I had them custom make a long walk drink. And I included the recipe in it. That's amazing. I'm totally going to go to Vinegar Syndrome and the order it. random fucking Blu-ray that you'll ever find. Like, I think normal people have Blu-rays that are like, here's a deleted scene. Like, okay, here are some behind-the-scenes pictures. I'm like, here's a cocktail recipe that Maddie Bill likes. <laughs> yeah. if, I have, if I have someone make the long walk at my local bar, can I drive home safely? Or may, will I possibly transition to the next level, to the next stage? It depends on how many of them you've drunk, but it is not a soft beverage. Let me tell you. I think the ingredient is like, the ingredients are like vodka and like a little bit of simple syrup and then like some chilies. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Okay. It's a stiff long drink. But yeah, like the physical media thing. I want to tell you, I don't remember the book. So you'll have to, you and your team will have to go do research. It was a children's book. Do you, do you remember in elementary school in the States? That you get these weird flimsy newspaper things that were called book orders, book like orders. Scholastic. Yes, yes, and, yes. You know, and then you tear off that strip and you check what you wanted, and you right. put like this money envelope, right? Um, book orders, and there was one book order that I got a long time ago when I was a child, and it was about this, not DVDs and Blu-rays per se, but it was about um, in the future everything's devastated now, and I think that they like it's an archaeologist that excavates a site and they find what I think is a hotel. I believe it's a hotel, but they're treating it like King Tut's tomb. And they're making all of these like assumptions about the items that they're finding. Like they find a toilet seat and they're like, they put it around their head and their neck. Like this must've been a ceremonial headdress of the emperors from that decade or from that, that era. And I laughed. I remember like, when you mentioned this, this is the first thing that came into my head was this book, this children's book. I've got to look that up. I have no idea what it's called, but you can find it. And, um, um, I do think that this is what it's going to be like. So as much as I love streaming and as much as I love the cloud, I have behind me in this shelf drives that I can't access. And what use are they at this point if like, if I can't access the drive. So yes, the digital information was there at one point, but like I can't access them. Some of them are outdated or like they're corrupt. And so like, does that mean it's just gone? Oh my God. Right. 
Yeah, a lot of them are valuable. I'm assuming the stuff that that's gone that you might think is gone. Photos. I even have family photos that I can't see anymore. But like, thank God that you know. But when you have that physical photo, even if it gets faded or whatever, like at least, at least you have it. You know. A couple more questions for before I let you sleep, and I thank you so much for all your time. This is going to be the most impossible question since I, I know you're a cinephile, but right off the top of your head, can you name one of your all-time favorite movies? And what is it about this specific film that still speaks to you today as a filmmaker and more importantly, cinephile? Ratatouille yeah. is my favorite film. Ratatouille. Wow. <laughs> is it because you love the culinary stuff or you just it's just a special – you know what? Oh, I actually did the press junket and I, I forget, but I remember, remember really loving that film. I forgot why I loved it. Why do you love it so much? I mean, the colors are beautiful. Actually, it's like really warm color palette. But, you know, there's something to be said about us being able to emotionally resonate with a rat. And we we talk about hardships and oppression and the human condition all the time. It's like us as POC, as people of color, the, the problems that we face every day, the prejudices, the racism, and... I think about this little rat and he's more hated than any iPop person ever. He's disgusting. He's worse than trash. Nobody has any expectations for him because at least when you look at a black person, a Latino person or an Asian person, their expectations, they might be super shitty preconceived notions, right? But their expectations and with a rat, there's no expectation. The only expectation is I have to kill it. It's diseased. It's beneath any kind of human. And yet he works so hard to achieve his goal. And not only does he achieve it, he surpasses it and it all falls apart. And it's just, you know, I, I feel so strongly about Remy the rat. And then he finds a way after everything has fallen apart, after everyone around him who supported him was persecuted, even that critic you know, even the critic that wrote that amazing review about his food was like ousted from the critic world because he rated the food from a rat infested restaurant so highly. They found a way to still band together as a community, as a family, as a core team and make it work. And they found their own way towards happiness, despite all the like crazy challenges. And I find this film so emotional. I cry every time I watch it. So Ratatouille and Coco are like my two favorite films. Then Black Swan. But Black Swan's a really obvious choice, and I think you can tell why, but still. Well, Ratatouille. Wow. I can watch it like a billion times, Greg. I never get tired of it. That's a, that's a great great choice. Uh, final question for you is, uh, this is actually spoiler stuff, but I want to know if, and I, I'm assuming it. You're gonna, you might ask answer that it really depends on the viewer. Is the loop closed when the place the residence burns down or does the long walk continue is that something you can answer or is it really up to the actual viewer i'll tell you that i have a very definite idea of what happens at the end but it's also up to the viewer as well because my own husband who wrote the film for me has a very different idea of what happens at the end and he's the fucking writer of the film can you believe it (laughs) Like, seriously, he wrote the damn film, but he and I have a different idea of what happens at the end of the film, namely of when the old man dies. And I've been kind of asking people when they think he dies. uh, And I've been noticing that people who come from Asian or indigenous backgrounds 
have a very similar opinion about when the old man actually dies. Whereas more westernized people like Americans or other Occidentals are kind of on the same page as my husband, who is white, by the way. So like that makes sense, right? Yeah. But I will tell you, as for whether the loop closes, it's a strange question to ask because um, you're right, it spirals like a snail. And that's one of the reasons why the old man can never go back to farther before than he's already gone. Because little boy's life continues moving. So if this is a little boy's life and the old man's coming here at this entry point, when he comes back, he has to keep, do you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. spiraling in on itself like a snail shell. But then what they've done at the end is the old man, he's fucked off to God knows what his afterlife is. Is it hell? Is it purgatory? Is it his own loop? She even says, I don't fucking know, but it's not for me anymore. Like I have no, I'm done now with you. And she continues on. She's in her own world. Now, if you notice the color shift, she's not wearing black and gray and white anymore. We're in her world. We're in her afterlife. She's in color again. She's got a blue skirt and a pink shirt. Everything's warm and colorful. And it's the most beautiful color setting. It's more beautiful than even the little boys, like past or present, whatever you can call it. Uh, the color palette is even more golden and warm than that and more lush than that. And then she sees a little boy at the end of the road and she's just so happy to be with him. Neither of them have gotten to move on towards reincarnation as we believe in Southeast Asia. They did not get to um, have rites done for them or funeral rites for them. They are stuck. But as for a loop, that's their eternity. And if you want to call it a loop, then yeah, I guess we call it a loop, but that is their eternity now. And that is what they are stuck doing forever is being together being on that road to chatting, walking about, but now, you know, she can hear him and, or she can talk to him. She can talk back to him and they're together. So even if the two of them don't get to be reborn or get to go to paradise or whatnot, whatever your belief of heaven or the afterlife is, at least they're stuck together. And I find it both sad and beautiful, but if it's a loop, it's definitely a separate one from the old man now. They've broken away from him. Now, uh, last, last question. Do you see yourself down the road staying in Laos and continue to make make films there? Or will will you ultimately one day just have two places where you can make films in the States as well as Laos? Or is, is it, um, where do you stand on that as well? I will always make film in Laos. I will always come back to make film in Laos. Uh, Laos is also my home. Um, it's a place that I understand very well. It's a place whose traditions and cultures I want to share with the rest of the world. I feel a huge responsibility to share the stories of Lao from my perspective so that it doesn't get skewed and uh, twisted by non-Laotian perspectives. I think it's fine. If you want to be a foreigner and you want to come to Lao and make films, please come. It would be great. We have beautiful locations. We have amazing actors. We have very interesting events and stories. But at the same time, you have to be a little bit careful because sometimes you find people will appropriate your stories for their own and get it so fucking wrong. Like, for instance, the rocket, like the rocket. They use Thai people pretending to be Lao people. They filmed 80 percent, if not more, of that film in Thailand pretending to be Lao. And they use beliefs that we Lao people don't even believe in. Like, we don't believe that if you have a twin, that one is evil. You know what I mean? So this is what happens if you don't take ownership of your own culture and your own traditions. If you don't 
if you're not the one who's sharing your perspective. So it's very important for me to make Lao film. But I see myself making films in many places. Like I don't want to limit myself to only making Lao film. I'm someday I'll make a French film. Someday I'll make an American film. Someday I'll make a Canadian film or a Mexican film. I would love to go all over the world and work with my friends who are extremely talented all over the world. You know, I look at the works of like my friend Isa Lopez in Mexico. Great. Amazing. She's incredible. I would love to work with her someday, but also she's out in England shooting like crazy period stuff. She's in Mexico making her Mexican film. She's in America shooting some crazy fucking story in America where she's doing some like story with like Korean nuns. And it's like incredible. And when I see that, I'm just like, we shouldn't be limited to only one place because we're, especially a mutt like me, I'm more than one place, <laughs> you know? Yeah, Maddie, thank you so much for all your time. And if you could really relay a message to your husband and tell him, you know, I know he knows from you too, but just yeah, from plebes like me, he's an amazing writer, just all around great stuff. With a you want to say hi to him? Yeah, you sure. I'll just. You can say hi to him. He's a plebe too. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, can you come say hi to Greg? He wants to say hi to you. You, you don't know Greg. Yeah. Well, I, I don't even know myself, so I, it's, it's okay. <laughs> He just said he's not putting pants on. I apologize. Oh, that's, that's okay, Chris. <laughs> okay, I just want still... <laughs> Chris. I just wanted to compliment you and Maddie on, on just a great film and great writing, and I can't wait to see more oh, stuff you. from you guys. And you know, yeah. So really appreciate it. Oh, awesome, thanks, man. <laughs> All right, and now put your pants on, please. So, <laughs> okay, Maddie. You need to get some sleep. I really appreciate it, and I'll send all the links to you, um, cool. Kyla and everything. Thank you so much. Okay. Good night. Good night. Good night. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye.